Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that you can now listen to at home with another household in your house. I'm James Rothwell. I'm Dan Axon. This week, we'll talk about what we've been watching, talk about a little bit of real news, and our main review is Woman in the Window, starring Amy Adams on Netflix. I just wanted to issue an apology for last week's episode first, if that's all right. Yep, go ahead, shoot. We were talking about Nomadland, and I was saying that it, it touched me. It resonated with me. And whilst I was saying all that, I said, because we know what I tend to lean towards, and that's murdering people. I just wanted to clarify that I meant I watch content that involves people murdering other people. I do not personally go out and commit such horrendous crimes. Just in case anybody was reaching for the phone. That's fine. I felt that was clear, but these days, you never know, do you? No, you've got to cover yourself. Front and back. Don't know what that means. I was also conscious in the episode that we might have talked too much about the defecation scene, which is only one very brief scene. But listening back, I think it was fine. We didn't we didn't talk about it too much. And when you really think about it, was there that much else to discuss? I think you'd say probably not. So we had we had to resort to that kind of filth. Yeah, literal filth in a bucket. <laughs> James, let's not talk about toilet humour. Let's talk about what you've been watching this week. I've watched two things on Netflix. Number one, Jupiter's Legacy. The boys rip off. Yeah, yeah. It's had not great reviews. There's an audience critic split. It's about a new generation of superheroes taking over from the old. The old generation has a code. Don't kill, don't rule, do good. But can that code hold up in these new challenging times? I didn't like it. I did not like it, I'm afraid. I'd even go as far as to say it is bad for a number of reasons. Number one, I think the wigs look really fake. I know that's a really very specific point to bring up, but I think the wigs look fake. The costumes look like it's a comedy superhero show. They're too bright and they're lit too bright. The dialogue is shifty. I'll give you two examples. Example number one, two characters who know each other's history talk to each other. They look at this image of this old guy and say, oh, there's Gray Fox. He was okay. And someone says, oh, yeah, he kidnapped the vice president. So he wasn't that good, was he? Yes, I know that. Well, thank you for telling us that exposition. It was so forced. Example number two, in the last episode, two male characters are fighting. The villain says, you punch like a girl. A female character teleports in and says, so do I, and punches the villain. Wow. Cringe dialogue. I was going to give it a go. How adult is it in comparison to the boys? Nowhere near. The only language that you get is S-H-I-T repeatedly. And it seems like that's the only language they've got permission for. If it feels like that, it's like you can do the S word, nothing else. The violence isn't that brutal. The last episode ends with someone getting a hole punched through the head, but it's not like the boys where you have a baby shooting lasers out of its eyes, decapitating people or a bomb up someone's anus it's not on that level another point to make is that invincible on amazon prime is a similar thing where there's an older generation and a younger generation there's a father-son dynamic invincible does it so much better invincible has the language and the violence it's better on every level 
And I imagine Netflix looking at Invincible. Granted, it's a cartoon. They're looking at Invincible going, oh, God. They've released this at the same time, and it is so much better. It's getting 100% reviews. It's got an unbelievable cast. And we're putting out Jupiter's Legacy, which is mediocre at best. Needed something to rival Amazon for this niche of the superhero genre, though, and failed miserably by the sounds of it. So that's Jupiter's Legacy on Netflix. Jupiter's not Legacy. James, what else have you been watching? Also on Netflix, My Love, which is six stories of true love. It follows six elderly couples in each episode in a different country. America, Spain, Japan, India, Korea, somewhere else. It's a very hands-off documentary, just observing them with very occasional sit-down interviews with them. I absolutely loved this. This is what I teased in the previous episode when I was talking about Nomadland. It's a series of disconnected scenes of these people going about their lives. So in the first episode, the American couple, they're on the farm, they're pottering about, the wife is shaving her husband's head. They talk about aging. They go to the life insurance funeral place, write their wills, talk about the funeral. There's a family party. Their children come, their grandchildren come, they have a play. It's a slice of life documentary, but there are so many sweet moments between these couples, like in the Spain episode, the man keeps flirting with his 80-year-old wife and talking about how beautiful she is and saying, oh, you should wear a, wear a bikini and show off your big breasts. And it's, it's so sweet and, and heartwarming. The Japan episode, which is the third episode, I've got 20 minutes in, but I haven't been able to finish it because it is emotionally devastating out of nowhere. The husband in it, he talks about having Hansen's disease, aka leprosy when he was a child and he was kicked out of school and put in an institution for 15 years. And he talks about how his wife was his savior and rescued him. And he talks about his treatment by the government. And it's all this story about how he's suing the government and it gets really serious, but it also gets extremely moving to the point where I was in tears or on the verge of tears for the whole 18 minutes I was able to watch. I'd really recommend it. My love, stories of true love on Netflix. Does sound almost especially that japan episode maybe a bit too emotionally taxing for me if i didn't know about that going in i would have been somberly surprised by it but i just i just don't think i can knowingly submit to it sounds interesting though the america and spain one those are more tender loving things the japan one suddenly gets more serious very good daniel what have you been watching i revisited a film from way back when this week because i've got a disney plus subscription I barely use it unless I'm trying to keep my son quiet. So I thought, why not make use of this seemingly pointless star service that's come about? And I came across a film that I thought I'd already seen. Turns out I've not. It's a 2007 film called Joshua. It's also known as The Devil's Child in a few countries. It stars Vera Farmiga and Sam Rockwell as like this New York couple. They've got this comfortable city life, living in a fancy apartment. And they've got a nine-year-old son. Joshua. He's slightly different to your average nine-year-old. He's above average intelligence. He's quite the pianist, child prodigy as well. But the couple, they've recently had their second born, a little girl named Lily. And the arrival, whilst met with open arms by the surrounding family, is not so well received by Joshua. Following the birth, what initially looks like this blissful family life together starts to disintegrate and the mood of the household rapidly changes. 
the baby just can't be settled. There's a series of strange, unexplained events. And the mother, who already suffers from mental health issues, just completely starts to unravel. Vera Farmiga, I, I love her. She's she's excellent in this. It's quite a demanding role, but she plays exhausted to perfection. Similarly, Sam Rockwell, he's underrated in my opinion. He's been in some really good stuff, but he's just a really relatable, down-to-earth, likeable guy that you you feel for having to deal with all this. It was an odd film in a way because it definitely has horror vibes to it. And I think from what I was led to believe from the poster, that's what it's going for. And there are some nods to films that it's inspired by, whether it's Rosemary's Baby, down to the fact that Vera Farmiga sports the exact same haircut as Mia Farrow did in that film. The creepy kid is very Damien-esque from The Omen. But what I did really like about it is that it takes that expectation that, oh, I know where this is going. I've seen this before. It's going to cover the same ground, but it's a lot more realistic than that. There's no supernatural element. This is just an emotionally disturbed child who's manipulating those around him to get what he wants. And for that reason, I find this actually a lot more terrifying because it could happen to anyone. I have no doubt that this being relatively unknown, or at least I think it is, has everything to do with the studio marketing it as a horror film when it's not. But don't let the mismarketing put you off. This is a solid psychological drama. It's got some really good performances in it. And it had a very spine-tingling cliffhanger of an ending that a lot of people will probably find it ambiguous, but I rather enjoyed it. Joshua slash The Devil's Child. Yes, on Disney Star. Very good. Disney Plus Star Plus. That's the one. Thank you for correcting me. I don't think that's right. I was just saying plus twice for comedy effect. What else have you been watching? I've got two. I'll keep them brief. Probably won't in the end. Initial thoughts on two returning TV shows entering the second seasons. First off, Mythic Quest. The second season is dropped on Apple TV, or at least the first two episodes have new episodes every Friday. We could have had this about a year ago, the second season, but they, they brought production to a halt because of the pandemic. But in the middle of the pandemic, they brought us this remote working-themed episode, which was truly brilliant. I think you were a big fan of that episode too, weren't you? It's by the creators of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and I've spoke about it before, so I won't go on at length. Um, But it's about a game studio run by an egomaniac named Ian, who's constantly at logouts with his creative designer, Poppy. I don't know a lot about game development, but I am an avid gamer, and regardless of how realistic or not it may be, I enjoyed this take on the world. The comedy has always been quite topical and timely, and it's exploring issues within game development, or maybe it's even just talking about broader current affairs. It just always seems to have its finger on the pulse and be relevant. I was initially really sad because the first episode did not work for me. Obviously, my anticipation levels were really high. I was expecting great things, and it just fell completely flat. I didn't feel this sense of joy returning to this world. Things didn't seem to have progressed anywhere with the characters' journeys. And like I said, the comedy itself just didn't land. It was, as I say, flat. But I can only assume that they wanted to start off really weak, make us just completely despair, and then take us by surprise because the next episode is a 100% return to form. Strong second episode, looking forward to the rest. What else have you been watching? Next one, set in a second series that had a floundering first episode, and I'm afraid didn't make up for it with its second, this time with Alan Partridge. This is a, a piss take of a daily talk show format like The One Show or Good Morning Brain or The View for Americans. Is that a fair comparison? I don't really know a lot about American. No, I don't think it is, to be honest. That's more like loose women, isn't it? Yeah. 
I don't know what the American equivalent is. Look up the one show. So it features Alan Partridge, and James and I are lifelong Partridge fans who will will still embarrassingly quote to this day on a weekly basis. I'm not ashamed. We we love him. I very much enjoyed series one, and it had some honestly side-splitting moments. There's some episodes which had me weeing from laughter, almost, not quite. Coincidentally, those two scenes in particular, they're both two different episodes that featured a blow-up doll, so I don't know what that says about me. I I was really sceptical as to whether Steve Coogan should just retire this character or just keep him alive in audiobook format. But the first series worked for me, and I was glad to see it return. The second season, or series, it's just not hitting the heights from the previous one for me. There's some laughs, definitely, but it's not as consistently funny. And I think the main problem for me, even though I don't think I'm supposed to take this as a realistic piece of work, the first season worked because it was like he had this lucky break where he's fallen on his feet and, oh, he's got a presenting gig on the BBC again, and he's obviously not equipped for this job. And part of the fun is you're watching him make an absolute arse out of himself or put his foot in it by saying something non-PC. It's that awkwardness and false bravado that's always delivered with this character. But in series two, they're not expanding on that. There's no explanation as to why he still has a job. Like, he was inept last time around. Why is he back again? And clearly, they have to do this because otherwise they wouldn't have the series. But it just doesn't work. And also, his his co-host, in the first series, there's a lot of friction between them both. and, And you get the impression that she's hating being paired up with him. But that's not really built upon. Not in these first two episodes. You don't know what she actually thinks about him. And I just think that's a bit of a wasted opportunity. I'm going to stick with it because maybe they are building something, but I'm not I'm not feeling this at the moment. Yeah, it doesn't make any in-universe sense for him to keep having a job. It's less extreme, but it would be like having a second series of Knowing Me, Knowing You, which ends with him murdering someone live on TV. Yeah. There is something you might appreciate because it was a, a nice moment for me. They bring back as a guest somebody who was a previous guest on Knowing Me, Knowing You, which was quite fun. But again, don't know whether they went as far with the comedy as they could have done. That. But it's still, it was still a nice little moment. The Alan Partridge universe is one of the richest cinematic universes, I think. There's a lot to draw on. Marvel's can't hold a candle to that, no. not to the Partridge verse. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what Mickey Rourke has been watching. It's the real thing. It is now real, real news, news. Mickey Rourke made a lengthy Instagram post in which he praised Law and Order Special Victims Unit. He praised the cast. He gushed about the cast, in fact. And after three or four paragraphs of that, he ended with one sentence. Respect to all of you. The work that you do is real acting, not like that crap, that all on Marvel shit. That didn't make sense as a sentence, did it? No, it doesn't. What do you think the headlines were about? Mickey Rock praises Law and Order or Mickey Rock criticizes Marvel? Obviously the latter. Yeah. So if you have a quick Google search, it's been picked up by new sources like NME and IndieWire and The Independent with the headline, Mickey Rock hits out at crap acting. This is how easy it is to write articles and discuss things on podcasts. Just pick out this one sentence that makes no sense and drag it out into a whole article. What's your personal reaction to that? Obviously, you've a lot of love for Marvel. Are you wounded by his words or could you not give a damn? I couldn't give a damn. In the Marvel films, they do the job. It's good. 
it's not Riz Ahmed in The Sound of Metal. I'll tell you what that's taught me. I need to check out Law and Order Special Victims Unit. If it's that damn good, I'll seek it out. I'll watch it. Another thing that's causing offence is the Golden Globes. According to the BBC, Scarlett Johansson has joined criticism of the Golden Globes. It's about the plans over how the Golden Globes plans to tackle discrimination because they've been accused of a lack of diversity. In shadowy workings, they've announced plans to reform and widen its membership. And Ms. Johansson and Mark Ruffalo have said, this isn't enough. It doesn't go far enough. Hashtag change is golden. Maybe this is just because we're in the UK and we worship Ricky Gervais, but Ricky Gervais has already completely crushed the legitimacy of the Golden Globes. And it's the Oscars that matter. But no one even watches the Oscars anymore. I agree where you're coming from, and they are largely irrelevant, but still probably nice to shove a winner of seven Golden Globe Awards on your poster. Can I offer an alternative take on why Scarlett Johansson has put her thoughts into the mix on this? Yes. She's already failed spectacularly once by buddying up with Woody Allen. Now that all this is out in the news and she's having to backtrack, she's just leaping on whatever's popular just to save a bit of face. Well, guess what, love? Not falling for it. Still going to watch your films. I'm still going to find you incredibly attractive, but I'm not buying into your bullshit. Not for a second. Let's see if we buy into this week's main review. Hello, I'd like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Call me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is The Woman in the Window. This is a safe place. I'm agoraphobic. I can't go outside. I've been slipping, getting into a really dark frame of mind. So what's the latest on the street? Your neighbor, she's become a friend. Her name is Jane Russell. Do you want to go outside? You know, I have a shrink of my own. Mr. Russell believes that you made a mistake. You have never met my wife. Ma'am, you all right? I know Jane. Jane's been in my house. A woman sits quietly at her window overlooking her street. She watches her neighbours sing, watch TV, argue and put out their rubbish. This nosy neighbour rummages through her neighbour's rubbish and finds a discarded DVD screener of the woman in the window and sells it to Netflix to fund the massive maintenance costs on her huge dirty house. This transaction has caused misery to audiences, critics and amateur podcasters who announce their next film review a week in advance. Also can be described as an agoraphobic woman living alone in New York 
who begins spying on her neighbours only to witness a disturbing act of violence. This is branded as a Netflix original, but it's more complicated than that, isn't it? Yes, and that's putting it politely. So for anyone who's interested, and for those who aren't, because we're going to tell you anyway, this was originally intended to come out in October 2019. But much like, what is it that we covered? Chaos Walking and... The other week I reviewed The Empty Man. It tested so poorly to that test audience. The reception just wasn't positive. The audience felt as though it was too convoluted. They didn't quite get the plot. So they brought in a new scriptwriter to do some reshoots just to try and make sense out of it. But it then tested poorly yet again. And the film was delayed until May 2020. But in the midst of all this, Disney acquired 20th Century Fox for $71 billion, if you are interested in the figure. And weirdly, rather than putting it out on Disney+, Plus, they sold it to Netflix. So it would appear that they just wanted rid of this completely. And I don't know if you're aware, amongst all this chaos, the novelist, of you know, obviously this is based on a book, he was subject to quite a disparaging article in The New Yorker after the film had wrapped, and this accused him of, one, plagiarism, and two, being a serial liar who lied about the death of his mother and brother, implied that he had brain cancer when he did not. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's had quite a rocky journey, this, hasn't it? But let's get to it. James, does all this spell disaster, or was it a pleasant surprise? I haven't read the book. And I never will. I don't care how different it is. That isn't influencing what I think. The plot is simple enough and it did put the pieces in place and build the mystery and it kept my attention until the end. Which is more than I can say for a certain best picture winner set in a certain land of nomads. The problem is that of the two big twists... One of them you can see coming at least two or three miles away, especially because it's based on the kind of book that has those kinds of twists. It has a surprisingly languid pace for a one hour, 40 minute film. The first 23 minutes is characters being methodically, politely introduced one after another. Once the thing that is witnessed is witnessed, that does kick things into gear but then they sort of press reset on the story after an hour and 10 minutes. Amy Adams. I love Amy Adams. Ever since we watched Enchanted at the cinema and we were worried that we looked like paedophiles because we were surrounded by very young girls. I've been a fan. Amy Adams delivers. She's sympathetic and a little bit mad, but not a complete mentalist, as Alan Partridge would say. Everyone else, I think, just turns up. Gary Oldman gets to shout once in a scene. Inappropriate comparison, The Servant on Apple TV, which we've both discussed on this podcast. The Servant is also mostly set in a house like this. And that has a lot of paranoia, claustrophobia. And you know what it feels like to be in that house. Woman in the Window, I think, doesn't achieve that atmosphere. There isn't enough cinematic techniques deployed to make you feel like you're in that space and you don't get a sense of what her agoraphobia actually feels like and that was a fatal flaw for me daniel what did you think of the woman in the window 
we've kind of covered this already, but you've you've got a false sense of security because it's it's a critically acclaimed and much loved book. You've got a director who's attached who is well regarded, Joe Wright, and a knockout cast. What could go wrong? Quite a bit, um, because despite there being so much talent, this is so remarkably unremarkable that it baffled me. <laughs> For starters, we've, we've, we've kind of said it, but it's, it's not a unique premise. It uses a setup you've seen hundreds of times in terms of this nosy neighbour witnessing a crime type of thing. And well-known, it's reminiscent of things like Rear Window or Disturbia. Do you remember Disturbia? Good film, that. Not seen it. Oh, okay. But it's not just those two films that have done this. It's been done to death. It does frame the story slightly differently in that Amy Adams is agoraphobic or agoraphobic. But even that's something that's been done multiple times and within this genre too. And I noted that Copycat reminds me of this film. And it was only after I noted that that I found out that that's one of the films that the author is accused of heavily drawing influence from. Um, more recently as well, The Invisible Woman has done this. So it feels like a very generic thriller, which doesn't offer anything new to the genre at all. Luckily for this film, I suppose, is that many listeners will know this is what I gravitate towards. It's my wheelhouse. And because of that, for all those flaws, it was a bit like comfort food for me. And I did find myself enjoying it, but not in the way that I anticipated, because for a dark and gloomy thriller, I'm not going to lie, certain scenes, I found myself laughing, but I definitely wasn't supposed to. And the reason for that was because I found it quite entertainingly bad. So at times there's conversations that feel stilted and the way in which people interact with one another just feels altogether off. Did you feel that? Can you provide an example? I will, I will. So at one point, Amy Adams meets her next-door neighbour, played by Julianne Moore, and Moore's character is so unbelievably rude and patronising to her, yet she just smiles through it and proceeds to have a friendly night in together playing gin and drinking wine. It, it didn't make sense to me at all. Why are you letting this woman hang about when, all right, she's the first person you've woken up to after fainting, but she's being a condescending rude bitch. Kick her out. I didn't get it. And then there's this inconsistency of the acting, which felt like a really mixed bag. It's like there's flashes of brilliant performances in some scenes, but then it's followed up with completely over-the-top melodrama in other scenes. I just was left feeling confused a lot in this film. It felt too inconsistent, and I don't know if I'm fully explaining why. I suppose we could go on to it in spoilers, but the, the way in which it's shot, it seems competent. There's actually several shots in the film that I thought were very good and there are images that will stick with me for today, at least. And you you mentioned that there's no atmosphere. I think they could have expanded upon it, but I think he establishes a mood with this film, at least. But there's just some very questionable decisions that have been made which leave the film feeling a bit like Amy Adams' character. A mess. However... I really enjoyed it. It's a stupid nonsense thriller with the requisite amount of plot twists to keep you entertained. I agree about the acting that you've just mentioned there, especially the Julianne Moore bit. I, I was thinking, does anyone really act like this? This is a bit over the top, awful. Yeah, it didn't make sense. And her basement tenant as well seemed just a bit too... 
heavy-handed with the shouting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Did you recognise him from the Falcon and the Winter Soldier? No. Was he in the He's first the, episode? Yeah, he was the new Captain America. Oh, right. Okay. There you go. Say his name so he can feature in our most mentioned awards, possibly. Wyatt Russell. Yes, I've heard of him. There you go. You're in contention, Wyatt. You may win that coveted award. Time will tell. Because he also appeared in Ingrid Goes West. Wyatt Russell. Yeah. Wyatt Russell. Oh, no, it's how many mentions across the podcast. It's not in one episode, is it? Yeah. Do you know when I said I made a slight mention to agoraphobic? I, I know what you mean. That really threw me off. Agroph- I would always say agoraphobic. Oh, I'm so glad it's not just me. I thought I've been saying it wrong. I thought, where's that extra syllable come from? But then I've looked it up and it is spelled that way. Maybe it's an American pronunciation. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Um, like Varga rather than vague. I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's what... <laughs> And I am not going to pretend to know anything about agoraphobia. Agoraphobia. But I also find it a bit weird that she has this, this condition. She's confined to a house, but she doesn't mind the world, his wife and his dog entering a house willy-nilly without permission. I know it's not a fear of people, but you're a bit relaxed about this. They just turn up. Yeah, a young man turns up at a door. She knows it's the neighbour because she's been spying on him, but she says, yeah, stranger, just come into my house. I'm yeah. alone. Just, just come in. And then she lets Julianne Moore in and has a drink with her. It's it's quite odd. And then by the middle, you've got like the entire cast is inside a house. <laughs> That's the bit. A, just stood in a circle. <laughs> That's the bit that I laughed at, by the way. It was... Do you not feel like that scene was shot like a play? Yes. Yes. The, the blocking was really unnatural. Yeah. Just had a very strange feel to it. But there you go. So... In terms of the mystery element, you you enjoyed it then, did you? Was was the reveal slash ending, despite you seeing it coming, was it satisfying? I didn't see the end end coming, and I was satisfied, I think, even though I thought it was a bit clumsy that we'll get into in spoilers, but this is the first film in a while that I've watched with my wife. My wife. And <laughs> I did say, oh, oh, this, this, this is happening. Okay, so we were interested. Did she enjoy it out of interest? About 90 minutes after we watched it, I said, what did you think of that film? And she said, what film? (laughs) Tells you everything you need to know. After some prompting, she did remember it and said, yeah, it was good. It was good. More to the point, overall, James, what about you? Would you recommend The Woman in the Window? Only for lifelong Amy Adams fans. Daniel, would you recommend Woman in the Window? It's a, bit, it's a bit of fun nonsense. It's not the most exemplary film you're ever going to see. But if you're lost for something to watch, I don't think you'll don't think you'll regret watching it. I just think you'll forget that you've watched it after 90 minutes. Shall we get on into spoilers? Yes. Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. So, where to start? Um, the woman who we believe to be the wife of the couple who moved across the street is the woman who Amy Adams sees being murdered. 
as the plot progresses, you shockingly find out that it can't be the case because the wife is alive and well, but she looks very different from the person she believes she met a few nights ago. Confused yet? Then around the hour mark, you find out that she's gone out of her mind or out of her mind. Victoria Beckham reference there. Deep cut. This murder she witnessed, it's all in her head. She's just a deeply troubled woman. <laughs> what? How have you, Victoria Beckham? Um, Wasting your time. Um, yeah, she's deeply troubled. She's gone off the rails. And why? Because unbeknownst to us, until that point, she accidentally killed Anthony Mackie, the character he plays, not the actor, and a daughter in a car accident. And she's been on this slippery slope mental health-wise ever since. But wait, wait, because then it transpires that the woman she saw being stabbed does exist, after all, and she's the biological mother of the boy she befriended who just moved in. But wait, wait, it wasn't Gary Oldman who killed her. Basically, the kid across the road has this very deep-rooted mommy issue and is an aspiring serial killer in the making. So that's thrown in there. There's no examination or explanation of this psychology, but we're supposed to buy it. What did you think of all that and where the hell do you begin? Can I just add on that at the very end, there's a fight between Amy Adams and the son on a rooftop and the son plunges through the skylight and dies and Amy Adams emerges victorious with a hole in her face. That shocked me. That did shock me. That shocked me. I was expecting her to get away bruise free, but unfortunately not. Did like as well how they set up that skylight about halfway through the film. We're going, oh, that's a bit weak. I thought, well, someone's falling through that later on. Oh, I was right. I didn't pick it up at that point, but when they were running up the stairs at the end, there's a cutaway to the skylight, and I immediately thought, he's dropping through that skylight, guaranteed. Yeah. It wasn't It wasn't subtle at all. So of the two twists, the one that I predicted, because I'm so extremely intelligent, was that Anthony Mackie would be dead, or not real, or something. If he's only on the phone, and it's based on a book surely something's going on there. Did you predict that as well? I'm not going to lie. I should have done, but I didn't. I thought he could be a figment of her imagination more than anything. That, that was something that was swirling around in my brain, but I didn't think he existed and he is dead. So that was a surprise to me. Okay. I thought it might be a figment of her imagination as well. I just thought it was something. He's not actually there. She's not actually speaking to him. I didn't expect the son to turn out to be evil in the end. That was a surprise. Mm. But with the way it was done, it he turned up and explained everything really quickly in one scene and talked about his method. What's the word? He, he doesn't have a process or a... M.O. An M.O. He, he, he uses like a serial killer word. So I don't have my pattern yet set up. Yeah. He explains all that really quickly, and it's like, no, I'm going to kill you now. It's the end of the film. That's what I didn't like, because I was quite interested in, as I say, his psychology. Like, why why is he like this? But it's just so shoved in there last minute that it doesn't do anything with it. And fair enough, that that's his motivation, but I just would have liked to understand a bit more about that. Yeah, she could have 
used her child psychology skills to figure out what his game is. And then it's a battle between them where she's saying he's mental, but he's so skilled at deceiving everyone that she doesn't get anywhere. You could have had that as the last half an hour and then have Gary Oldman saying, well, you first thought it was me, now you think it's my son. You're mental. <laughs> um, One thing I did want to ask you, because I didn't care enough to rewind the film, so when it's revealed that he was the one who killed his own mum, what is revealed to us when we see the murder? Because I thought I actually saw Gary Oldman stab her. Is that not the case? Do you never see who stabs her? I thought it was Gary Oldman as well. I thought that was clear, but I suppose if you were to rewind it, it's not. But if it is, I will change my opinion on this film. (laughs) (laughs) Which is already not great. Just, it's okay. But it'll go down to, nah. There was another scene of a quick exposition where John Walker, Captain America, Wyatt Earp, I've forgotten his name. Russell. Russell. Yeah. He explains loads of things in one scene. He walks in and explains, okay, yes, so that woman is the mother of the son. I slept with her. It wasn't great. Then she left. Then I left to get away from her. He explains the whole film in one scene, and I had to rewind it because I didn't realise, oh, he has just explained everything. I need to watch that again. And I wonder if that was put in in reshoots. I I was going to hazard a guess that it was but it's quite ironic that they wanted to make things a bit better and what they ended up with was just very quick fire exposition heavy dialogue that surely is there as an excuse in case you've failed to understand what's happening with the plot it could have been done in a lot slicker fashion I think but it just wasn't it feels very rushed doesn't it that end yeah but we'd both still recommend it no, I didn't. I didn't. Oh, only for yeah. Amy Adams fans. It's still a recommend in my book. Who's not yeah. an Amy Adams fan? Good point. Good point. I don't have anything else. Do you? One small, tiny nitpick is that her face wasn't scarred enough at the end. Yeah, yeah. There was a bit of a hint of a hole in her face, but it's yeah. You'd expect something a bit more drastic, wouldn't you? After having what was that? It was a troweling fork. Never seen that in a film before. Never seen someone being stamped in the face with a troweling fork. Neither had my son, actually, up until that point, because I watched this entire film with him in the room, and then I thought, yeah, this is where it's gone a bit too far, this. Put a pillow over his face. Only if not, like... (laughs) (laughs) Let's, Let's move on. He witnessed no real violence, so no need for social services, thanks. Okay. Shall we leave it there? Let's. As ever, thank you very much for your continued patience. Patience, that's not the right word, is it? You've enjoyed listening to this. But if you have enjoyed, let us know by giving us a five-star review on iTunes and leave some kind words as well. You can follow us at In The Isles Podcast on Instagram, or you can get in touch by emailing us in the Isles Podcast at gmail.com. James, do we know what's on the cards for next week? I have a feeling it's The Army of the Dead or Army of the Dead, the new Zack Snyder film, but I might be completely wrong, so we'll have to re-record this if so, and this just won't make its way into the episode. Yes, Army of the Dead, directed by Zack Snyder. 
It's not his first non-DCE universe film for some time. Yes. Zack so, Snyder unleashed. Yep, he's cut his ties, sacked off his epic losses. And uh, yeah, this isn't a sequel to Dawn of the Dead, one of his first films, which I thought it was. So a bit confusing. Anyway, find out what we think next week on In The Isles podcast. We've never signed off like that before. I don't know why I'm doing that now. <laughs>